Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at livinghopechicago.com. We hope that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9 this morning. And as you're turning there, we um, have been going over a new theme for this year. Our theme was to be equipped, to be uh, engaging, and to be edifying one another. So equip, engage, and edify. And the book that we're we're reading and the study that we're going through for our um, growth group study is uh, the design to lead. And in order to... Uh, lead and carry out our mission in order to equip people, engage uh, with our world outside of this church, and in order to edify other believers inside of our church, we have to have a couple of things. That study was talking about the little video that was shown to you this morning. He said that we need a conviction, first and foremost. We need a God-initiated passion in order to carry out our mission as a church. Uh, we also need um, uh, a culture that harvests and, and cultivates the growth inside of our church. And then we also need constructs, things that are in place to put you guys into leadership positions, into places of leadership to where you can be uh, serving the way that God wants you to. But the first and foremost thing that we need is a conviction. If we look over here to our our left and our our right, we know the mission of Living Hope Church. We know that it's love God, grow together, make disciples, and change the world. That is the what of our mission. That is what we are here to do. But the question that many churches don't answer is why. Why do we want to do these things? The question that many people are left wondering is, why do I want to do this? And many churches, we read in the the study that we were going through that many churches have a mission, but they don't understand, they don't have the conviction, the the God-initiated passion that helps them carry out this mission. And so today I hope that this passage of scripture that we read will will stir a fire within you, will fuel your fire and give you a God-initiated passion, a conviction that Jesus is the only way, that other people who do not know him and do not love him need to hear it, and there needs to be urgency about it. So we need a conviction for these things. My sermon is entitled today, Restored by the King, and... We're going to begin reading in 2 Samuel chapter 9, and hopefully this passage of Scripture, God's Word, speaks to you, giving you a conviction of why we want to love God, grow together, make disciples, and change the world. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he answered and said, The servant is he. 
And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Mekur, the son of Amiel and Lodabar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Mekur, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? And if you look down in the latter part of verse 11, it shows the future of Mephibosheth. It says, As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's very own sons. And then in verse 13, It says, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both of his feet. So that concludes our scripture reading this morning, but we need a little bit of background before we dive into this story. We need to understand the context of of what's going on, what's happening around this time that all of this this specific story is happening. And Mephibosheth, he was the son of Jonathan. And who was Jonathan? Jonathan was the son of Saul, who was the king of Israel at the time. So we know King Saul. He was this powerful man. He led the army whenever David fought Goliath. We know King Saul. He's the one who took the armor and placed it on David, and then David took it off because it wasn't the right fit for him. David went out and fought Goliath and defeated the Philistines. We know that story. But King Saul was, right now at this time, he was the king. And his son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth who we're talking about in this story. You see, Saul, there was some bad blood between Saul and David. Saul was the king at the time, like I said, and he was powerful and he was uh, God-honoring and he was, he was fearing the Lord. But you see, there, there came this point in time where Saul's leadership began to get to him and he, he, had a, he got on this sort of power trip. Because you see, there was a, a prophet And this prophet said that, you know what, Saul, David is going to be the next king. He is going to be the God-appointed king. He is the king that God wants to have for Israel. How do you think this made Saul feel? What? He's going to be the king? This boy from a shepherd's field, the son of Jesse, he's nobody. And he was almost nervous that this man is contending for my authority for my rule in this nation and immediately he started to have some animosity towards David and you see he wanted to kill him and he even tried to kill him on several occasions three to be exact he would invite him to dinner Saul would get this this rage inside of him just looking at him have you guys ever felt a rage like that you just look at a person and you're like I used to like you but man you're really getting on my nerves 
None of us, right? So we, he, King Saul, he feels that rage and it just, it wells up inside of him so much that he throws a javelin. He throws a spear at David and tries to kill him three separate times. And he, he, he tries to set David up in these little instances in order to kill him and catch him in a trap. How many guys think David should be a little bit smarter about who he, whose house he goes to for dinner, right? So David is, is almost you know, getting killed each time he goes over. And Jonathan, Saul's son, actually helps David escape. So he, he says, you know what? My father, Saul, the king, he wants to kill you and he wants your head on a platter. But I like you and you're my friend, so I want you to escape. And he helped him escape. Well, later on, there were wars between Jonathan and Saul because of that. King Saul and his son, Jonathan, they sort of, he was disobeying him, right? Any of you with teenagers know how that feels? All right, and so Jonathan was helping this man that his father hated. He was helping him escape. And he just couldn't believe that. So then there started to be wars, and this nation almost started to divide between a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And it started to divide, and there started to be wars within this this one kingdom and almost civil wars, And people started to flee for their lives. And we know that Jonathan at this time, scholars say that he had a son. And you can even flip back to 1 Samuel chapter 18 and read in your own time that Jonathan, he had this son and his name was Mephibosheth. And during these wars, people started fleeing for their lives and escaping this this kingdom so that they could not be caught in the midst of this war. And we read in 1 Samuel 18 that this nurse was carrying Mephibosheth. He was probably around five years old at this time, and they were fleeing for their lives. They were fleeing this country and this kingdom, and this nurse was actually fleeing, and she tripped and ended up dropping Mephibosheth, and from that point on in his life, he was lame. And it's funny, I've preached this in um, children's churches before and at camps and things like that, and when I say this kid was lame... Uh, you know, from that point on, they're like, oh, he was lame. What a loser. You know, and they're just like thinking like, man, what a loser. He's so lame. But no, no, no. Okay, that lame, maybe in our terms today, maybe that's what it, it's defined as. But let's define the term lame. You see this, this word lame, it literally means to be crippled or to be broken. A crippled man in those days had to completely rely on someone else to take care of them. He had to beg for food. Think about having to drag himself through the dirty streets to get from place to place. And if he didn't drag himself, if he wanted to go somewhere, he had to rely on somebody else to carry him. And pretty soon, you know, if you were one of uh, Mephibosheth's friends, you'd like look at your cell phone and be like, oh man, Mephibosheth's calling. He wants a, he wants a piggyback ride again. And people would just start ignoring his phone calls, right? Pretty soon... People would get annoyed with always having to take care of Mephibosheth. Think about it, having to always rely on on somebody. He was forgotten about, lowest class in society besides a leper, begging on the side of the street, no one listening to you, nobody caring about you. He even calls himself, in verse 8, he calls himself a dead dog when he's in the presence of this king. You see that dead dog? He, a, a dog was 
the most looked down upon animal during this time, during these biblical times. Uh, many times there, there's parts of scripture where you can read about a dog. Um, in Proverbs, there's a, a verse that says uh, a person returns to their sin just like a dog returns to their vomit. That's a disgusting image, right? Right? Just like dogs return to their vomit after they've thrown it up, they go back and they eat it again. I know that's gross, but that is what it's like when somebody returns to their sin after they have been saved. And, and that's, that's a disgusting image already. Then if you want to think about into, into the New Testament, another image we get from the Bible about a dog is when there is a leper sitting at the king's gates. And this man had open wounds and open sores. He was sick. He had these blisters and boils. The, his skin was deteriorating. And he said that basically it felt good when these dogs would come and lick his sores. Ugh. Right? Just puts an image in our heads. That is disgusting. And, and Mephibosheth here, he does not only say that he is a dog, but he says, I am a dead dog. I am lower than the low. I'm forgotten about. I'm worthless. I am dead. No one even considered him as the rightful heir to the throne when David was king. And I know what we're thinking, right? How does this apply to me? Well, doesn't it sound familiar to think about ourselves as, as a dead dog? I know that we don't like to, but that's just the truth of the matter. That at one point in time, or maybe even right now, we are, or we were a dead dog. Worthless. When you say Pastor Jake, how do, you, how do you get that from Scripture? Well, listen to these ver- verses. Maybe not in a physical sense where we lame or crippled or broken, but in a spiritual sense, we are crippled. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We've chosen to do our own will and our own desires instead of obeying God and praising him and worshiping him and glorifying him with our lives. We've decided to go after our own route. We say, well, maybe he's just, maybe he's just doing what he thinks you know, he should do right now. Well, Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Well, maybe he has good intentions, but maybe it's just not working out too well for him. Maybe he has a good heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Man. And this is talking about all of us here, myself included. Romans chapter 7, verse 18, one of the the greatest Christians that, that we could ever think about, the Apostle Paul, who is responsible for writing most of our New Testament. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Nothing I do can bring about good besides and without the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 64, 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. You know what these filthy rags were? They were basically bandages to cover up open wounds. 
And when you think about those rags being filthy, they're covered, they're, they're scabbed, they're bloody, they're, they're disgusting, they're gross. And that is what we looked like. We looked like a dead dog. We looked crippled. We looked broken because of our sin and because of who we were before Jesus Christ. With the world in disarray and when we watch the news, I don't need to spend so much time on this part, right? Letting us know that our world, we are living in a broken world. We are living amongst crippled and broken people in a spiritual sense. And we know that just by turning on the news channel one time. We see that. We all understand our own shortcomings in our sin. But can I remind us of the second truth that we need to learn in order to have this conviction and deep within our hearts is we see it right here. It's just like Mephibosheth. We too have a king who is seeking us, who is drawing us, who is doing everything in his own power to restore us back to himself. That is why we love God. That is why we grow together. That is why we want to make disciples and invite other people who do not know these things. Come, learn about what I have. Learn about what I've been gifted. Because I didn't deserve it either. But now that I have it, I can't stop uh, telling each other and, and telling other people and spreading this good news. And we have to be urgent because we know that our time is short here on earth. Calling people to love God and grow together. And doing our duty to change the world. You see, we are all crippled. That's the first thing we need to realize. You say, well, that doesn't really fire me up and give me a conviction to get going and work for God, you know. And But it should because we too, we have a king who's looking to restore us. Look at verse 1 again. And David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him the kindness for, for Jonathan's sake? He's looking, he's seeking, he's doing everything within his power. I'm sure he has people in his royal court, people who are going to go out into the kingdom looking for this one man who is left of Jonathan and Saul's lineage. They're going to search for him. The king at this time, he's the most powerful man in this kingdom and a righteous man. And he's telling people to go out and search for this person. Why? So that I may show him the kindness. This kindness, this this word, when you look in the the original meaning, kindness, it literally means steadfast love or mercy. I want to show this man mercy. I want to give him something that he does not deserve. I want to be loyal to this lame and crippled man. I want to make a joint obligation. Basically, I want to sign a contract with this man. And that brings a a question up in our minds. Well, why in the world would this almighty king, he is mighty in this land right now, and he wants to search for this crippled man who's worthless. He called him his own self a dead dog. And why is he searching for him? Why is he doing this? Why does he want to show this man mercy? And it's it's because in 1 Samuel 18, verse 3, Jonathan which was King Saul's son, Jonathan made a covenant with David, who is the king now. The Bible verse that Jonathan, the Bible verse says that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 14 through 15, 
David says this. Uh, basically, what was happening at this time was, like I said, David fleed this kingdom, and he really wanted to come back home. Could you imagine being away from your home, being away from your people, knowing that God wants you to take this kingship and to have this nation as your kingdom? And you were supposed to roll over it. You would want to come back. You would desire to come back. But this man wanted your head. He wanted to kill you. And so Jonathan and David, they were friends before David fled the country. And what happened was David was saying he was coming to Jonathan and they were best friends. And he was saying, hey, man, uh, your dad's tried to kill me twice already. um, And I, I think he might not like me very much. And and Jonathan was like, no, well, maybe, I don't know. Now that, you, now that you say it, I think maybe, yeah, you're right. But you know what? Let's test this theory one more time. So how about you come, and we're going to eat dinner one last time, and we'll see. And so they tested it again. Once again, Saul tried to kill him. So David wanted to flee the country. And Jonathan was saying, well, let me just try and talk to my dad. Let me see if I can get him not to kill you, and maybe you can stay in this kingdom. And then once he dies, you can take the king." the kingship, the, the, the rule and the authority. And so Jonathan goes and tries to talk to his father, Saul, who's the king, and it's a no-go. And so Jonathan says, okay, you're going to wait for me while I go talk to my dad. You're going to wait for me on the other side of this hill. If it's good news, I'm just going to shout your name and say, David, come on back. But if it's bad news, I'm going to take some bow and arrows and I'm going to shoot them into the field. And when you see one of my servants go and fetch my arrows, that's how you're going to know that it was bad news. Flee for your life. Run and don't come back until my father is dead. And so that's exactly how everything panned out. David went and he hid in the southern part of this field and Jonathan was in the northern part. And instead of shouting out that it was good news, he took those, those arrows and he shot them over the hill. And Jonathan or uh, David saw Jonathan's servant go and fetch them. And once uh, the servant came back and brought those arrows to Jonathan, he said, go ahead and take those uh, back to the kingdom. You know, your, your work here is done. And David and Jonathan met one last time and they made a covenant with each other. And David was weeping, knowing that he had to leave. This was his best friend. They were like family. He had to leave his home that he's grown up in. This was a sad, sad time. They hugged each other. And they bid their farewells. And this is what David said, or this is what Jonathan said to David before he left. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, he says, If I am still alive, show me the kindness of the Lord so that I won't die and don't cut off your kindness from my house, which basically means my family forever. You see, David made a covenant with Jonathan before Mephibosheth even existed. And now when David came back and he was the king, he was back in rule, he was back in authority, and now that's where we, what brings us to our story. He's looking for Jonathan. And Jonathan is already dead and passed, and David is, 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 um, is just grieving through that process. And then he says, well, well, is there anybody that's left in his house? Is there anybody in Jonathan's family that's left so that I can show them kindness? And that's why they're looking for him. Before Mephibosheth was even thought about, before he was on the scene, before he was alive, David already had made this covenant and this promise. And and this reminds me of something so true between me and my Lord. 
Jesus Christ. So it had nothing to do with Mephibosheth. Had nothing to do with how great he was. He was lame. He was a beggar. He was sitting on the side of the road or relying on somebody to carry him around all the time. He called himself a dirty dog. It wasn't anything that he could do to make this king want this joint obligation with him, to want him to show mercy. It was because of his likeness and his relation to his father why this king wanted to show him mercy. And that's exactly what our king in heaven, God Almighty, looks for in us. When he looks down at the world, and he wants to show us all mercy, but you know what he looks, he looks for? He looks for your relation to the Father. He looks for your relation to the Father. He looks for your likeness, your, your nature being the same. And, and this is what it says in, um, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. You see, long before Jake Waldman was on the scene, my king had a plan. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. You see, if you, don't, if you think that you're worthless, if you think that you're a dirty dog, if you're broken and crippled in your sin, you know these sins, you feel the guilt and weight of them, and you think that your life is worthless, it's not true. Yes, you are a sinner, but there is a way to be forgiven and somebody is searching for you. Somebody is looking for you to restore you back to himself. He's chosen you in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world, before he made the world, before he created. You were on his mind and he wanted Jesus to die for you and forgive you of your sins. That's how much you are loved and cared for by God. 2 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 9 says, uh, it's speaking of Jesus Christ, and it says, He who hath saved us and called us to a holy calling, not according to our works, it's nothing that we have done, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That, there it is again. Before the world even began, he gave us grace in Jesus Christ, death on the cross. And Jesus rose from that grave and now he lives with life and a purpose to give us life and forgiveness of our sins so that we can carry on his mission. It wasn't based on Pastor Jake's worthiness that I'm up here and standing before you today. It was based on everything that Jesus Christ did for me. The one who sent for me and fetched me out. You see, when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, the King sees in our countenance. He looks at us. And instead of seeing this, this dead dog, this filthy sinner, you know what he sees when he looks at us and we've chosen to become into the family of God, to be born again into the family of God? He sees Jesus Christ, his only beloved, his only begotten Son, who is perfect and righteous. He no longer sees our sin-stained life but he sees Jesus Christ's righteousness and our likeness to him. And that's the same thing that David saw. Listen to this verse when, when he comes back before King David. He says in verse um, 5, Then King David and sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and he did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth? 
He said, is that you? And, and, he, and he answered, behold, thy servant. And instantly, can you imagine this man coming before King David? And can you imagine King David looking at him for a second and saying, wow, he looks just like his father. I can see the resemblance in his face. And that's what, that's what our almighty king sees in us when he looks at us, when we're forgiven by Jesus Christ. He looks at us and he, and he sees, man, they don't look like a sinner anymore. They look like my righteous only begotten son who deserves mercy and forgiveness and love. It's all because of what Jesus Christ did for us. If this is all the king did for us, we could just stop and we could praise him. We could worship him for the rest of our lives. But you know, the king did not end there. God did not end just by giving Jesus to die on the cross and then saving us from the pit, the miry clay of our sin and guilt and shame. You know what else he did? It's the third thing that we see. We know that we were crippled, but that also we have a king who is looking to restore. And then the third thing is that he gave us an inheritance. Look at this in in, in verses 7, 11, and 13. He says that in verse 7, I will surely show thee kindness. Why? For Jonathan, thy father's sake. And I will restore thee all the land of Saul, thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? He's, he's in disbelief. Wow, you would do that for me? You would restore me back to my land? And you're thinking, why would he give this guy all this land? If you read on further, David also gave him uh, servants to work his field. Because if, if you can imagine, this lame man is not going to go out and profit off of this land at all. He's not going to be able to build a farm. He's not going to be able to have cattle. He's not going to be able to go out and work this, till this ground and cultivate this. But his servants would. And you see, he gave him those servants so that they would till the land. They would cultivate it. They would grow nice fruits and veggies and things like that. They would have great cattle. And man, they would produce from the land. And they would give it back to him. So he has this inheritance set for him. And then he even goes further and he says, you're going to be like one of my own sons in verse 11. And then in 13, he says that anytime he wants, he's invited into my house to eat at my table and basically be a part of the royal family. Man, what a picture. Could you imagine this drastic life change? Going from begging on the streets dirty, dragging yourself around, relying on other people, just not even being able to do things for yourself. And then all of a sudden, this man finds you and you just are like, oh no, he's about to kill me probably because he knows that I'm one of Saul's descendants and he's coming back for vengeance. You're thinking that he's going to strike you and and give you what you deserve. But he says, instead, I want to show you mercy and I want to restore you back to this great place and I want you to be basically a son of mine and I'm not going to end there I'm going to give you an inheritance that you can live on this inheritance even even after I'm gone and that's what the Lord Jesus did for us he restored us back to himself he he helped us to repent of our sin and turn to him and trust in him and 
he gives us uh, in Corinthians, it talks about he gives us an incorruptible crown that's undefiled and it fadeth not away. Uh, another thing that he gives us is unsearchable riches. You know, another thing that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us is the Holy Spirit within our hearts that helps us to even obey him. He gives us comfort. He gives us joy. He gives us peace between us and the Father. He gives us eternal life. He gives us heaven. He gives us his word. He gives us his presence. He gives us his power. These are all pieces of inheritance that Jesus Christ gives us that we do not deserve. He says, you will have these things continually. You shall come to my table, this feast prepared before you, and enjoy it. You'll be like my son. And now, just like in Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17, when we repent of our sins and we turn towards Jesus Christ and trust in him fully, we are born again into a new family, the royal family of God. And this is what we can now say. Listen to this. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, And that spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Can you imagine being put on the same level playing field as Christ Jesus? We did not deserve this. Jesus did not deserve death. We did not deserve life. We did not deserve eternal life. But Jesus and God the Father gave it to us through Him. You see, this beautiful picture of a dead dog now being adopted into royalty and eating forever at the king's table. His position has changed from down and dirty to sitting at the, at the foot of the throne. He's no longer in filthy rags, but he's in royal robes. And how are we not set on fire by this story? Because it's like an exact image of what we were given in Jesus Christ. Being reminded of the gospel in this way, just picture this. This man being either carried in in filthy robes into this royal courtroom. And I'm sure other people were in King David's presence and and looking here and thinking, what on earth is this guy doing here? Why is he here right now? Man, he probably didn't smell the best, could you imagine? Dragging yourself through the streets. Probably didn't look the best. And yet he came before the king. And the king came to him, fetched him out, and restored him, took off those dirty, filthy rags, put a clean robe of royalty on him, and said, you're now a part of my family, and I'm giving you this inheritance. Now what are you going to do with it? I pray that if, if you're here this morning, I pray that if, you're, if your walk is failing if you feel crippled in your sin, that you would come before the king and that you would worship him and say, man, I I feel the guilt 
and the weight of my sin. I felt that before. But this king, he wants to restore you and give you an inheritance that never fades away. Others of us this morning are, are reminded of this story and, and reminded of what the king has done for us. And he's willing to do this for other people who aren't here right now, who don't know this message, who don't even know living hope exists. And yet we're here and we go out five, six days a week and we come in contact with those people. Are we engaging them? Are we equipping ourselves to reach them with the gospel? Are we edifying one another, our brothers and sisters that are right here in Christ? Are we edifying one another to go and do that? Hey, let's go meet with this person. Let's talk to them about this. Let's go have coffee. Let's go have dinner. Are we doing those sorts of things? We probably know that we're supposed to do them. We're challenged to do them on a weekly basis from Pastor Daniel. But do we have the conviction that's deep within our hearts that says, I have to do this. I can't live without doing this, without serving my Lord Jesus Christ and giving everything I have back to Him because He's given everything for me. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ or made a spiritual decision, we would like to rejoice with you. Please connect with us on our website, livinghopechicago.com. We hope you'll join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.